Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, we have the second half of my conversation with Ali Della and Zahir Morali about major technology companies and their impact on the FinTech space. And with that, I hope you enjoy the second half of this conversation. Well, before we get to the healthcare piece, I want to take a step back. So I guess the real question, we kind of keep on hitting right here. Here's the real one that I wonder about. How long until one of these guys just starts their own NATO bank? Because if we're going to start storing money on here and spending money on cards, I mean, the only thing I'm not doing is depositing my check to an Apple Pay card. Mm-hmm. Right. What point did they just basically like, disaggregate the bank entirely and use my phone? Or who do you think is going to be, or do you think anyone's got well, the, 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 the banks, I think it's, it's back to the utility thing. You need the infrastructure behind this. Like you That's can't right. operate any these things without building that. Does anyone want to take capital and build out the infrastructure you need for a bank and the, but, the people and everything else? Well, right? it exists, so, but the question is, does it exist in the volume necessary, right? Like we have neobanks in Canada, the US, UK, but I mean, if we're talking about the amount of transactions that can flow through an iPhone, yikes. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, maybe this is kind of the point, which is, this is a, a gateway into creating net new infrastructure for the next hundred years of financial services. Because one could make an argument yeah. that the infrastructure of today that is difficult to replicate shouldn't actually be replicated no, because okay. it was built in an analog era for an analog customer. Funny story, but keep going. <laughs> and, and so maybe this is a, a great way for them to learn off the back of existing incumbents to make that wholesale pivot over time. I think this is where you know Google Alphabet becomes really a dangerous weapon where they can, under a single umbrella, create these compartmentalized shared businesses that create a data layer that can be shared across multiple companies, but all have their own monetization strategies, all have their own long-term visions, and therefore can segregate risk accordingly. All all running their own independent vision of it, so therefore focusing on one thing. It's interesting you say that. And as you were saying that, I thought to myself about the kind of where, how basically the internet's going from a certain place, where your computer's going from a certain, from a certain physical location to everywhere. Right, well, like, this is fourth industrial revolution. Exactly, stuff. exactly. Right. So does does the access to to money go everywhere also? Right. Right now, it's arguably a lot easier than it ever was before. Right. Because I only had two mediums, plastic or or, or cash. Yeah. And now it's literally if I can log in from any from a lot of different places, I can basically spend money. Right. Does the well, once they finally crack the nut on on digital presence and virtual identity. Is it just my, what, that doesn't really matter who I'm using in the background because it all looks the same or it looks like the interface of the person I'm using. Well, this is the, I think this is a really interesting yeah. point. The consumers don't actually, <laughs> I don't think consumers no, no, care, right? They no, don't really no. care what the front thing yeah. uh, or the back end is. They care about the front end. Yeah. They just want to know where to and go. I'll give you, I'll give you a really like crazy, maybe pie in the sky future, but let's, let's be a bit ambitious and bold. So After let's what assume, I just said, go right ahead. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, we all know that Amazon builds, basically what they do is once they figure out what's selling really well in their marketplace. They build an Amazon version of it, sell it at a discount and undercut their distribution. Channels, yes. Right. They create some conflict, but and avoid antitrust legislation. Right. So, so that, that point being aside, so let's assume in the future state, Amazon has their own cars, Amazon has their own refrigerators and Amazon has their own ecosystem like Uber. Let's just assume that happens. I think I read that book by George Orwell, but continue. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Uh, and then, so, so here, here becomes a use case, right? So I'm driving down the highway. Actually, I'm being driven through my Amazon autonomous car. Yeah. And my windshield is no longer a windshield. It's now a display. And it gets a notification from the fridge at home that says, hey, uh, Ali, you're on your way home. Uh, realize that you're out of milk, cheese, and eggs. I know that there's a four-minute deviation that I can place an order at the local grocer uh, to have that bag packed, paid, and ready to be picked up. Yeah. By the way, it's only... And by the way, on the way home, like you should probably pick up this flower from your wife because she was like looking at that on Amazon. Yeah. And all of a sudden, all of this has happened because of connected yeah. devices. 
all could be handled payment driven through machine payment yep. to each other all in a single ecosystem. Yep. That's insanity to me and a complete real real future that oh, could be it is, it is completely doable. It's just a matter of getting there. And See, I was gonna the, say, like, hang on, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna yeah. pick on that one because I think I think there's a lot of really neat stuff there, but that reality would be a little bit different, which is those utilitarian kind of things, the milk and whatever you need in the yeah. fridge, that's already been sent out and already been shipped and delivered home. So you don't have to that's pick true. that up into the deviation. What you are doing though, yeah. what you are doing though, I do think is that that nice gift or whatever, because that's a very personal experience. That's a piece you go and well, pick up because say, hey, look, like, that's I what they've been looking at. saying that your wife's looking at that, it could be based on the context of her last message to you. That's right. You should actually have this, right? So, so this is the, and I think that's where we're going to see those things. And I don't, I'm not sure, do they need, do they need the cars or just access to the network? And so I look at those and say, if they find, what they've been doing is building out infrastructure that they need in order to function as as a company are. So when they find those things, so the next thing is anything around AI that they're doing, they don't often get talked about in the same way around AI that all the others do, mm -hmm. but the reality is they need it and use it more in their business than probably the others do it at all. Certainly Apple, yeah. certainly uh, more than Facebook, not sure it's more than, than than Google does, but Amazon does and has been pushing really, really hard yeah. on AI partnerships because they use it in their business all the time today. So I, you can see them spinning that out again, like AWS, but now here's this other piece yeah. of infrastructure and they keep doing that but over and over offer, again. Like, don't they already offer an AI modules part of AWS? Yep. Yeah. yeah, so you'll see more and more of those pieces yeah. come out, right? So as they kind of plug into these networks. So I think that's true, like, you know, replaces these pieces of infrastructure. The one thing is that none of those players has ever tackled a regulated business before. That's, and they're, they're not a single one. Everything seen. that they have done so far yeah. has been in places that don't have that kind of regulation. They've been able yeah. to, free, to freely More operate friction. the way they want. Yeah. And the only time they get unstuck is when they face that. The real question though becomes, how long will I be able to get away with the AI sending my wife flowers to make her less <laughs> mad at me before she realizes it's the AI doing it and not me, okay? Because like it just becomes an arms race. Tulips yeah. or tulips. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, the day she listens to this podcast. Two side notes. So, uh, because you met, going back to Ali's comments, one, one was the talk about the Apple car. So the rumors I've been hearing lately on this one is that, you know, you can think of the car as a sandwich, right? You have the body that goes yeah. on top. You have, which is going to be the experience that they're, that they're not worried about. You have the, uh, so the external stuff and the, and the body. And then you have the chassis, which will basically, or the, the powertrain, which will all be electric. They're not worried about that. What they're worried about is the space in the middle mm -hmm. and optimizing that, right? Because if that, if you're getting driven everywhere, it becomes an entertainment system, right? Thank you. Can, yes. Yeah, and they can control that entertainment system. And they've got they got our attention everywhere. And Google's, for example, home ecosystem yeah. has proven that they can take over your house. So not why not be able to With take secret over microphones? Your, yeah, your mobile <laughs> house, right? Yeah. So I think I don't think we're very far away from the car not being a utility is to just move people around. I, I could imagine a like whole part of your experience. A whole new industry is being created around creating experiences exactly. for people in a different way than today. Why should transportation you a, by theme? Yeah, like yeah. why have a physical location that you can only hang out in or experience something? Why not have a moving dinner? That's why right. not be able to set up a car to be a different type of journey yeah. for a rider? I think Absolutely. your point is well taken. And I'll come and plug this on a later podcast, but there's people building out these experiences yeah. today and they're yeah, looking at this as... <laughs> They're looking at this as different ways to use that time. It is captive time. It is time, you know, for a while there, we were all interested in, you know, sitting and chatting with whoever else is in the car, yeah. your driver, whatever. And you've, yeah, you've that's kind because of, we were forced on. into a paradigm where we had to face forward and someone had to focus on the road that's and right. you're keeping them up, right? Yeah. When you think about it, there's only two, there's only, there's only three types of time. There's work, leisure, and sleep, mm -hmm. right? And frankly, you know, work, the car is driving right now is work for at least one person. Yeah. You take that away and make it pure leisure time. Think about the number of things we can do. Like That's no right. more forward facing, you know, you can have, 
any number of options. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, that was a sidetrack. The other sidetrack, this was a funny one. So you talked about the infrastructure built for the previous generation. So this is funny. So you know why you can't uh, move money between banks over weekends? Why is that? Because the servers are closed on weekends. Oh, the servers a, are closed on weekends. There's, there's a really good planet. There's a good planet money that, that where they basically talked about like the infrastructure moving money around in the U.S. and the same thing applies in Canada. There's a centralized shut down for maintenance. No, they keep bankers hours. Wow. Yeah. So they keep bankers hours. And basically, so when they set this up back in like the, set, the 60s or whatever, they literally just, it's the paradigm of the 60s overlaid on top of it. And the worst part is, is that there's been, no one's upgraded this infrastructure for years because the problem is, is that the workarounds that they have to put people on have become such a lucrative line item on the income statement themselves that charging these extra fees to get to actually improve the infrastructure would reduce their profitability. Hmm. Yeah. So talk about the, the year incentives being backwards. All right. So back to the theme of the show. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. We didn't get to the healthcare with Haven Health at, uh, at Amazon. So who wants to go first? I'll do that. Really interesting, like really got excited about the whole thing in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, they've hired some amazing people. So their team Did is, just leave? <laughs> they, you know, they're, they're yeah. just, you know, yeah. they, they have pulled in some great people, yeah. but like any startup, like it's, it's tough. It's got a whole bunch of hype around it, oh, yeah. um, a whole demand around what they're, what they're building out and a bunch of people thinking that they're going to come eat their lunch. So they got sued by Optum and stuff like that when they, when mm -hmm. they hired David Smith. But this is really probably going to focus around paying for quality, like optimizing what we're paying. So healthcare, massive industry, huge uh, expense line for, especially for the US uh, side, for the US consumer, insurance industry, et cetera. But you don't have a really good sense of what you're paying for in terms of quality. You have a lot of people either overbilling or underdelivering on quality. So you don't have a real, this true, is, you don't have a true free market, right? You right. have a third party payer system where the incentives are actually for them to have higher premiums if possible, right? And then that drives the cost of, of, these, of these services up at the same time. Yeah, and it's a tough balancing acting yeah. as those things. And they don't want to get overbuilt either, but they don't have the systems and the yeah. data and the infrastructure to do that either. And mm -hmm. so you've got a player now who comes in and says, I know how to do this. I know how to, if I can give you ratings on all your doctors and look at performance, then the, the ones that poor, perform poorly will drop to the bottom of that list mm -hmm. and get weeded out of the industry. The ones that perform well will pop up on top, whether it's a quality of care or what they charge for that. So you will see that race to quality of care kind of being a big driver of what mm -hmm. people get paid for those things and taking out some of the overcharging, overbuilding the industry. Same thing on the prescription side. So how do you drive to those things? So they're going to mm -hmm. try and do that. I think the challenge is wherever they start with this, it's not a big enough part of the market to get going, to drive towards that. You've got enough incumbents and inertia mm -hmm. to thwart that. But you don't think so, this is like they're their first customer for the, for the destabilizing? They are, they are, but add up the number of people. Yeah on those three companies and see how much that really amounts to in terms of driving. Uh, yeah, I just think it's about it's about solving it for everybody. Yeah. It'd be great yeah. to, to see that. I just think they've got a lot of stuff against them on the incumbents in yeah. those spaces. I, think, yeah, I don't I think, think they've definitely. got, it's a nice idea. How they enable that for, for those people? Like what is, if JP Morgan and everyone else is putting stuff into this, what do they get out of this piece? It might be lower cost for them, but they're gonna enable that for every company based on the investment they've made here. So I don't know. Like, yeah. Ali, you may have a different perspective, yeah, on, it. perspective on it. I mean, I think at, at the like 50,000 foot view, for me, this is very inspiring to see because what you're having is true innovation mm -hmm. where you're saying, we're, you know, unbeknownst to the odds or the incumbents, we're going to go and try to do something different. So win, lose or draw, I actually don't think it matters because I think what it's doing is it's starting a conversation. And I guarantee you that all the competitors, all the incumbents are sitting around having their 50 person boardroom, you know, war meeting saying, what are we going to do if this happens? And that to itself is a catalyst that makes me really hopeful for the future. Also, any industry that's got a T behind it, 
not a B mm. is a place that a lot of big companies mm. just want to try to participate in because the upside potential is so, so massive if you land yeah. on that one thing. Yeah. And the way to land on the one thing is not to do everything. It's actually to not try to boil the ocean. It's to take the pot, yeah. yep. boil the pot and see if something sticks. And they've got a embedded <clears throat> customer base. They've got a great data layer. They've got a great opportunity to try to solve a very specific, unique problem to enter a market. And should it work? home run and yeah. then off they go because they can capitalize themselves till yeah. the end of time. And that's, that's a really good point. They go to pick. So for example, they pick prescriptions. Yeah. Then that aligns a whole bunch of the incumbents that would thwart them on the insurance side right. and premium side to line up against, against that and with them. I actually have a slightly, I have a different viewpoint of this. It's informed by, I think it was about two years ago. I read a HBR journal on uh, it was a, it was Microsoft specifically tackling their healthcare costs and how out of control they were. And what they did was they partnered with their insurer to basically apply mm -hmm. lean principles to right. the actual process mm -hmm. flows, right? And what they found was it was like it was the inefficiencies of the way things were happening. So someone would have a pain or a problem, it would nag them, the, they, would, they would talk to their boss about it, take a day off, do nothing about it. And then it would, it would get to the point where they, they then went, it was already bad, and then mm -hmm. they then went to the most expensive practitioner possible for that because they go straight to the doctor, right? As opposed to what they were doing was like a simple example was if you have any issue health-wise, they set up a affordable call center as the basically to do telehealth essentially and figure out how to intervene as fast as possible. So for example, if you had a back issue, it's like right to the chiropractor, screw, forget the doctor, right? And they basically figured out all the checklists and mappings and, and profile flows for how they would treat certain conditions. And what they found was, first of all, satisfaction rates went through the roof cost savings on a lot of minor conditions. They didn't do this for everything. They, did, they, they targeted it on a handful, but they, they were finding cost savings between 20 to 40%, depending on what was yeah. involved, because they were cutting out the, and the doctors, everybody, everybody in the chain was happier because the doctors weren't seeing these piddly things. They're just like, oh, okay, you gotta go see this specialist, right? Like, and, and sending that out, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they weren't being paid for that, but it's not like they don't have, they weren't gonna get their time filled elsewhere. So I think a lot of it will be simply, you know, maybe they're gonna try the same thing of figuring out how to chip away at the inefficiencies everywhere along the value chain and digitizing that all to, to make it happen. Well, it's, it's, it's the, back to the classic kind of thing of preventative versus yeah. catching this after the fact, right? So if you wait long enough, yeah. it becomes a very, very expensive problem. If you do this early, whether that's preventative, kind of look after yourself, you know, the hours you work, the way you sit, where you work, all those kinds of things and prevent mm -hmm. those things and how you eat and your diet and everything else, then great. But if you wait until it catches up to you 30 years later, and yep. then now try to solve the problem when you've got type two diabetes and da, yeah. da, da, da. so that's that that could be part of what they're Absolutely. what they're looking at, right? So you well, can see that as a way to versus going after people and saying you just make your drugs cheaper, like that's you know that's that's what I you know I think that the, the challenge there is that's somebody else's yeah. red box. So if you're going to go after that. It's a challenge unless you give them some value yeah. in the whole process too. So it's how such do you a challenging space? Though. I mean, yeah. like, like there is no. I mean, for us to even pretend that medicine is going to be a free and efficient market, it's there's no chance. There's no chance, right? Like you have patents protecting LSD, free and efficient, free and efficient market, okay. right? Because you have too I many cost constraints. You have too many yeah. constraints, right? You have you have doctors who are paid by a third party. You have the entire insurance. So when, when people don't pay for something directly, you can't get a true clearing price, right? Mm -hmm. And actually, there was a good episode of Inside Man with uh, Morgan Spurlock. From the fame, yes. from the um, super size, super size fame, who basically he did this very thing where he went to he got three quotes for an MRI, and they were all like there was like two thousand dollar deviations between wow. these things, and he's like, why can't there just be one clearing price? And it's like, well, we have different contracts with different insurance companies, and they charge different prices, and they want preferential price if they come to us versus elsewhere. Goes over to Thailand, and it's like here's here's the bill, 
like done. It was like a fraction of the cost. So you know, you have that. You have you know the patenting issues around around drugs, where if you control that drug, then forget it. Like you're you know, you can set the you technically get to the price of whatever you want. So it's it's such a difficult place. And then also like what what's what's someone willing to pay to stay alive, right? Like that's that's the reality of it. Like what's what's a fair price to charge for this? Who knows? It's just there's too many externalities of this. Yeah. If we, and I mean, I'll I'll take a different kind of crack to hopefully sum this one up, which is ultimately once they figure out. Let's say it's a process improvement and mm -hmm. they figure out a way to digitize some of the value chain experience. The way that you monetize this is not by disintermediation. It's by creating a business model around it. Mm -hmm. And this concept of like, we're very aware of software as a service called SaaS, but platform as a service called PaaS. Yes, yeah. And really it's an entire new business model that can be generated once you solve the very particular in-customer problem with a group, a cohort group that's very incented to solve it together. They unlock a massive network of data that they otherwise wouldn't get access to understand the inefficiency, solve the problem, resell it to competitors. And that's, again, another infrastructure moat uh, that can be created. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, as we've seen, they solve their own problem first and they turn around and try to solve everybody else and they're usually pretty good at it, although groceries are still struggling. So moving on, IBM. Kind of threw them in here. Uh, so this was part, the list of, this list was partially inspired by the Big Nine, the recent book that came out about the future of AI. Fantastic read, a little bit dystopian towards the end, but uh, it was very insightful. And then being on there, now IBM is not a forward-facing company in terms of front, uh, consumer-facing company in terms of healthcare or financial services, but they have for a long, long, long time been the underlying backbone of so many of financial and health's infrastructure. And I have to feel like all the innovation I'm seeing or hearing about is not them. Now, is that them flying under the radar, or is this something that is uh, is is there something we're, we're missing here? I don't know. I think there was a lot of hype around, and you know, so some of it warranted. There was there was some positive stuff that came out of Watson and things like that, right? So you had a, a really big push from yeah. IBM for a long time around that. Yeah, the um, diagnostic AIs. Yeah. yeah, and and all those pieces. And, and I, you know, I was part of several startups that were trying to pursue what you know partnerships with Watson, what we could do. And and at the end of the day, the challenge was access to data sets and things like yeah. that to to actually use because we weren't. In the spaces we were in, yeah. we didn't have the data sets to actually do anything with it. So well, it they worked well. Violated in, a bunch of privacy policies with some, with some hospitals. Yeah. So I think that they, they struggle with that. This renewed kind of focus on the cloud and kind of going back to that. Like it seems like everyone's kind of got this retrenchment kind of thing back to, <laughs> back, to cloud. Back, back to cloud. Like let's go back and see there because that's our access to data and things like that. So yeah. you've seen that kind of retrenchment. Just haven't heard very much from them yeah. in the space. And I think they are the incumbent in so many of these spaces, yeah. but they're struggling with what's coming out because people are thinking about things differently. As Ali went, do we have to replicate or rebuild exactly what was there before, just a slightly better, shinier version? Yeah. Or do we completely rethink and tear down the models that have existed in, in terms of how we how we approach this? Which good luck so, selling that to the end buyer. Yeah, yeah, which is a, you know, it's a, and so people will continue to run yeah. on IBM yeah. for core stuff that they don't want to have to change right now, but experiment and dabble with new mm -hmm. from other players because that's where most innovation and exciting stuff is happening. And now it may just be that there's not a lot of noise because there's stuff going on under the covers, but they weren't very shy about it when Watson was out. No. So when that was new and which, experimental which, and which interesting. The technical, which the in-house name uh, for, for the medical version was the doctor house computer. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. so, so that got to false diagnostics yeah. before the right diagnostic yeah. every episode. Yeah. So they haven't been shy about doing that yeah. when they've had something under the covers. So yeah. Thoughts? Yeah, I think I think IBM has a great opportunity to layer on either a partnership with a tier one consultancy or to launch their own. I know they have one, but really mainstream consultancy, because I yeah. think because they have all this great access to an existing cohort of customer who uses their infrastructure. 
But being able to help point those consumers to what problems could be solved mm -hmm. is sometimes a really great step in a relationship on how to uh, monetize over time. So they're going to turn to the trusted source, right? Exactly. Because yeah. right now, the challenge is if you're trying to break an IBM partnership, you've got this one laggard, which is how do I move your infrastructure data from point A to point B, whereas IBM has a running start if they can actually showcase, like, here's a solution to a problem that you don't even know you have today. And we've got the core competency, the consultancy, and the strategy, and the tactical to be able to bring that to life, implement it, service it. Again, now you've created a contractual that it's tough to break. So I think IBM has actually got a running start. It's their game to lose almost. That's very true. Uh, it wouldn't be the first incumbent to lose that yeah, game. It's the challenge of supporting legacy while simultaneously trying to build the future, right? It's, it's, uh, you have to run two orgs. Yeah. And not, you do. And on top of that, I mean, look at who you're trying to sell to. You're selling to bankers and doctors yeah. or hospital administrators. So it's funny, it's, it's been surprising to me, I think, that 10 years ago, yeah. it would be hard to have a conversation in the enterprise where IBM's name didn't come up. And now? And today, yeah. in the last five years, and definitely the last three, I can probably count on one hand the number of times I've heard the name IBM in any yeah. conversation in any enterprise. It's so funny because I think back to, it must have been five or six years ago when Buffett openly said that they piled into a bunch of money into IBM because of the entire, like, oh, you just buy these servers, pay them a fortune for servicing them. And, and just, all... like, this is a great model. I understand this, right? And that model is very quickly falling apart. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and now he's pumping money into, into Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> so. This is exactly the point. It's their game to lose. Yeah, exactly. They were ahead. They've lost they, the edge. They've... they've got to either find a way to reinvent yeah. or they're going to like face a death. Well, they've had to reinvent themselves more than once over the years, and uh, they're very much in a crunch right now. So before we jump into the next cat, uh, next uh, player, I do want to share some statistics here. So we've been talking a lot about transactions, and just again, the reason why some of these companies are targeting transactions is, quite frankly, there is no bigger business than transactions. So a couple of statistics. The estimated hard currency in the world is somewhere around $5 trillion, which is kind of funny to think you can only buy about five apples for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the total estimated money supply in the world is somewhere estimated around $80 trillion. Daily so FX 80 apples, 80 apples. Well, we're measuring all in apples now. Uh, daily FX transactions alone total the amount of currency in the world. The wow. global GDP is 103 trillion dollars. Which, when you think about that, okay, 103 trillion dollars, that means that the money supply is turned over more than once per year. We'll call it about 1.3, 1.4. That's 220, it's 282 billion dollars in transactions per day. Boy, oh boy. Okay, so. I don't care what small fraction you tag onto that, that makes it the world's biggest market for anything. So this is why everyone is so eager to get in this market. And I don't blame them quite honestly, especially if they have the relationship and the intention. The intention. Now talking about relationships and intention, Alibaba, the big player out uh, in China. So basically they have a subsidiary known as Ant Financial. Ant Financial has three key areas that they've already dove into. One is Alipay, which is their answer to Apple Pay. Sesame Credit, which is their own internal credit rating system, which is an interesting play for, for developing markets. And My Bank, which is their actual, their actual neo bank, for lack of a better term. And I'm quite surprised that they managed to get the name My Bank, but let's, let's continue on with that. And this so, is all run off WeChat. This is yeah, they, they, <laughs> pretty much, yeah. <laughs> pretty, much. <laughs> pretty much, you have to run it off WeChat. So Ali, your thoughts? Yeah, I, again, I mean, the amount of money that you just rattled off only had T's and B's in it. Yeah. And I think when there's this much up for grabs, Investors flock. Yeah. They flock to take market share in any way, which uh, possible way, because it's a land grab. Oh. And when you have these land grab opportunities, people make decisions 
uh, capital decisions, which almost seem unfathomable. But is it a land grab or is it a disintermediation of the traditional sources, right? Because this all flowed through banks and credit cards before. Sure. Mm. So yeah, it's, I mean, so it's both, it, right? It's a land grab of the disintermediation. It's a land grab yeah. for the disintermediation yeah. portion. But it's also to drive what, arguably that down to zero. So they're driving the cost of those as close as they can to zero because mm-hmm. the, and to position themselves for the value add on things that currently aren't disintermediated or yep. things that aren't like they're a bit more human today. So you've got a transaction, you've got a payment network that runs on Visa, MasterCard, et cetera. Yep. If I can get myself inserted into there, take that slice of it away and drive that as close to zero as possible. What else can I get myself positioned for that today doesn't attract two cent, 2% kind of fees, yep. but attracts 30 and 40% kind of fees. Yep. Like what, what kind of things can I do there that attract those pieces? Cause I'm not, I, I wouldn't otherwise get access to yeah, those. Well, former show, well, previous uh, guest of the show. Um, uh, Dan, why am I having trouble with names today? Uh, CEO of uh, Coho, uh, Daniel Everhart. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, they just raised a big mm-hmm. funding round and again, same basic thing. They make money off the transaction charges that are already charged everywhere else. And they're going to parlay that into other objectives, mm-hmm. right? And as you said, I think sooner or later, but these bigger players have the yeah. opportunity to drive it down mm-hmm. to zero. You're starting to see yeah. that in other places. And as, as a user, so just sticking with that theme, so as a user, yeah. started out using that card just as a, I'd gotten rid of a visa, I needed a new visa card, and it was the quickest, easiest thing to get access to. Yeah. Did that, wanted to try it out, but loaded up money on it. Suddenly went to, oh my God, I want this for, I want a multi-currency sleeve on this thing. Because I want to mm-hmm. take it traveling rather than carrying cash and whatever else I might carry around There's in every country. The so I'd like that to, is, um, on a prepaid card? I said, no, the Neobank of the UK. Revolut? Huh? Revolut? Revolut, yeah. yeah. So they've got, you know, so, but this would be a prepaid thing. So they've got float on that card, but multi-currency. Yep. So I'm going to have two to $5,000 worth of Canadian, uh, US, whatever on there. I want this for a business. I want this for kids. Mm-hmm. So that they've got their spending goals, allowances going on. Suddenly you go from somebody who was just helping me save on bank fees to me going, there are a thousand ways in which you can help me. And I think about that when I look at the businesses that are making that kind of difference, they're finding a wedge to leave a pain point that I have maybe around fees or whatever else, and then position themselves. And, and sometimes without the industry even knowing it, all the myriad of things that I need them to do now, because they've done this so well. And I think when you look back at the starting points for Google and everybody else. And you look at all the big partnerships they're doing now. It's all great to see. And, and you love to see them trying to bring other incumbents along the ride for the innovation piece. But where they all started was in a very constrained universe, mm-hmm. picking one particular area yep. and particular pain point to solve very well. And they've built huge businesses based on that. Mm-hmm. Where I struggle with some of the incubators now is there's a lot of money. The same choices they used to make and be constrained to have to make they don't have those constraints anymore. And that makes it very hard. And I I haven't seen too many examples of great innovation coming out of those things, like huge steps forward. There are good steps forward. Like, don't get me wrong. They're doing things in each one of those incubators, but they don't have the leaps that you have where somewhere else, because someone else is truly, truly constrained and has to pick one thing and one thing to do super well. Starvation causes focus. Yeah. And I don't like, (laughs) maybe, you know, like you look at your business and how you started, it's, And I think we had a conversation a while back. At a certain point, you were doing all these things across the enterprise. And you're like, you know what? We can't do this. We have to have to focus. And we're going to pick this target customer with this particular pain point, And we're going to nail that. And when we do it, we'll know we've done it well. And I think I, I do think that's what happened with with you. And, and, and I, I think I see that in a lot of those other industries that you pick that one thing yeah. and that's what actually gets you that step in the door to, to well, and earn your the channel, right to do more. You hit your channel yeah. as hard as possible. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. I think you get pulled in 
multitude of different directions, sometimes by the market mm-hmm. in one way where you start to solve a very particular problem and then more problems get uncovered. And you're like, well, I'm only half a step away from that one. Oh, only yes. three quarters of a yes. step from that one. And you start to solve the world's problems instead yeah. of the one problem. It's the renovation. The walls are open. 100%. So while we had that, why, why not, we do this? Why not just do it? Yeah. And then the other piece is, and this is where you know your, your accelerators, your incubators, uh, your investors can play both a positive and negative role, which is you start chasing down their agenda versus yes. the agenda that you started no. your business yes. to do. And I've seen, and I've been on the receiving end of both of those. Our company almost died because we were given some, I would say shaky advice by some people in our network as early founders that said, hey, you, you, you've got a stick to go enterprise. Just move up market today. Everybody wants what you're selling, sell it to them. And you're like, well, you know, maybe that makes sense because oh, yeah, if you get two enterprise customers, we'll write you $20 million. Well, you get the shiny penny problem. Yeah. On the flip side, Sometimes your accelerators, your corporate accelerators, they don't actually hold you back from thinking broadly because they only want you to solve their problem. Mm -hmm. And this is another push-pull tension between strategic investors and startups, which is just because you're a strategic capital provider to our company doesn't necessarily mean that I've now become your outsourced dev team. And keeping that for, I know I'm deviating here, but Mm -hmm. keeping that, for example, board construct that balances the table becomes really important so you don't end up solving the wrong problems and people can hold you focused to solving one thing and really just owning that problem. As you might get a couple market. emails from other startups and yeah. founders asking for advice to that piece of wisdom. Because when I look, just just one thing is like when I look at these partnerships, yeah. and and Ali mentioned it before, which was, hey, look, at least if something comes out of it, it's people thinking about these problems. Yeah. Um, what should be attractive for a lot of people is that there's enough money being thrown at these things now mm-hmm. that there's clearly something to solve here. Yeah. But don't feel yeah. that just because there's big companies doing this that you don't have a way in to solve this problem. And yeah. they, they, that they're going to beat you at this because yeah. you have a level of potential focus on the kind of problem you're trying to solve. And you don't have legacy thinking. Yeah, and they're going to have a whole bunch of different agendas. You've got three massive companies that are going to have to try and harmonize an agenda. Like they might have one around lower costs. I wonder but how, how to it takes to book a meeting. Yeah, yeah how to address <laughs> oh, God, I know. Like, how is it for us? Look at us yeah. to get this podcast together. What did oh, it take to make this happen? So this right? took a, this oh, there's took a backstory. <laughs> oh, there's a backstory. There's a, there's a, there's a, <laughs> scheduling tools to be? Oh, really? Uh, yeah. So, you know, well, that, that's just us being experimental. So that's fine. But the, uh, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. A small, you know, there's it's the old two pizza team or, or whatever issue. It's, it's, it's Brooks law. You double the number of developers. It doubles the number of time yeah. to deliver. It is only, you can't, you know, nine women cannot give birth to a child in one month. Right. <laughs> and I think Zira made this point earlier, which is you got to find a thin edge of the wedge. Yeah. Yeah. And once you've found that, yeah. dominate it, land grab it, and yeah. then find a way to and extend run. up or down yeah. market as yeah. you see fit or don't and just stay yeah. really focused. A meaningful on problem that somebody has that you that's can it. solve really well. Like that's the thing. And you know, when you look at, investors in your business, like having a customer come to you and say, I want to put money into this. That's where I try to get as many of these startups to not as, not as a, not as a, I'm going to strategic outsource corner price. It's not that it's for a size. I want, it doesn't mean you have to take it, but having someone stand up to you and go, I want to put some money into this. How do I have to do it? You can go, Hey, look, I don't need it. I'm I'm fine. But it's great validation to know that we're on the right track. Cause if you think there's enough in here for you, want to put money into it over and above what you're paying me for the service then that's great. We've got something Use here. Use case 001. Our first quarter million came from clients on our beta. Yeah. There you go. Like, I, I don't think- You solved their problem. There is not better market validation 
Yeah. At an investor level, than to yeah. see that. Well, in addition to that, now you have your true believers, right? Like oh, every yeah. business needs its first like hundred true believers, 100%. and that's and you got it there. It's funny because the, the advice you gave there kind of parallels what I when I give speeches about advisor technology and how advisors can implement it within their own. It's always the same thing: is that you know what? There's you're feeling pain all over your business, like whether it comes whether it comes down to booking meetings, confirming meetings, prepping documents, you know, signatures, whatever it is. I said I said before, I guarantee you, whatever pain you come up with, someone has a solution out there. You're just not taking the time to go find one, right? And figure out where the most pain is and where the most cost is, and then work from there. Quick pro tip, journey mapping is one of your greatest assets yeah. on a whiteboard. Just start at the beginning <laughs> of your, your customer process <laughs> and keep going till the end state of service and map out all the different pain points in between and just solve one at a time. That's don't, it. Don't try to solve the entire end-to-end -end problem. Pick one piece of the problem. Yeah. If it's scheduling, solve that. If it's digital meetings and you need a conference system, solve that. Just don't try to boil the ocean because you literally will fail at the whole thing. Well, that's the thing is I'll give these, I'll give these lectures and I'll say, this is your shopping list. And they're just like overwhelmed. Like, where do I start? It's like, look, just pick one thing. What what is the one thing it's one of the hardest things to do though. Like, yeah. yeah, it, 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 is, really it is. is one. Like that, that first step is one of the hardest things for yeah. a lot of people to. Well, I mean, everybody wants to have the end state, right? Like the, the journey of getting there one piece at a time, making sure you master that software, get the bugs, make sure it connects to the next thing properly. And everything communicates with everything else now, right? The number of things you can automate is astonishing. And frankly, I need to spend a lot more time on Zapier myself mm -hmm. to get this business working <laughs> properly. But uh, it's, it's, you know, exactly that, that wisdom is imparted to the startups and find the one thing that's, that's that's painful for someone and solve that product yeah. and taking problem. it back to what we seen you know, with wechat and things like that like they yeah. went and did something yep. the red envelope piece they went and did something they didn't announce a whole bunch of stuff they didn't do no, a whole bunch of out there they just went and did something yeah. and solved one particular piece and i think when we look at all these other things that we've talked about today yeah. and different partnerships and different ways of approaching things etc there's a lot of things that are heavy on the dialogue and the announcements mm -hmm. around and everything else and light sometimes on what are we actually doing here? Like the yeah. one thing that we're actually going to. Can we highlight a reality so that there's no cloudy listeners out there, which is to innovate requires failure. And oh, like totally. full stop. Like oh, if God. anybody here yeah. uh, believes that they're going to get the right future state the first time, you're it's insane. Yeah, you're going to fail and you must search for the failure yes. as fast yeah. as possible. Because we don't have yeah. closer to the right answer. We don't have times WeChat tried to have people pay for stickers. And oh, yeah. send it to the stickers. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, I don't know how many times they tried to do that, well, and that I didn't made a work. business out of that, and they try to repeat it, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. it's you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, and that's been proven over and over again. I mean, was it Odeo became Twitter? Which yeah. is like three other examples that always come to mind. I'm, yeah. That's, God, I gotta get more sleep. <laughs> Sorry, my daughter was up like three times last night, so I was going to blame it on. But uh, but good. No, this has been fantastic, guys. I'm sure everybody's going to learn. I did have buy down the list, but frankly, they're doing the same thing that Google <laughs> is, so I don't think we need to repeat the exact same comments. Thank you. This is fantastic. Uh, I'm sure everybody's going to find this informative over the two episodes this is going to air on. And that's uh, right. yeah, that's right. Thanks for having us on. Thanks. So I hope you enjoyed my first two part series and I hope you found that informative. There's a lot of uh, potential money coming our way in this industry from big incumbent players, and they're more certainly going to make an impact. The question is just how big a one. So until next time, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcast. Take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.